an easy thing for you to do. Your hands are moving right now. You are still showing up at the tomb of every Lazarus. Your voice is calling me out. And right now, I know you're able. And my God, come through again. Cause you can do all things. You can do all things but fail. Cause you never lost the battle. No, no, you never lost the battle. I know, I know, you never will. Everything is possible by the power of the Holy Ghost. A new wind is blowing right now. Breaking my heart of stone, taking over like a Jericho. Never lost the battle. 
never lost the battle. I know, I know you never win. Yeah. Well, hey, Kensington, I hope you enjoyed that song that Aaron let us in and the team. That song, Never Lost, really is encouraging because it's really given us this word that God is winning our battles or ultimately he's won the war. I remember years ago, I was going through a hard time and I went to speak to a friend of mine, Jack Wilson, and I was telling him, man, I really lost this. You know, I really failed in this part of my life. And he asked me a couple of questions. He said, did you do everything that you could do? And I said, yes. And did you fight as hard as you can fight? Yes. And he said, it's okay, Danny, you lost the battle, but you didn't lose the war that God has won the war. And it gave me this beautiful sense of comfort, sense of peace, uh, knowing that I might have failed in this battle, but ultimately God is going to help win the war. And right now, I don't know if you feel this, but I feel this. I know Jalen uh, feels this as well, is that we are just in the midst of so many battles. Uh, we have COVID-19 that's happening, sheltering in place, all the stuff that's happening in our country. And then on top of all of that, we are in the midst of some of the most deep racial tension that I've experienced in my lifetime. And unfortunately, uh, the, the death of George Floyd has just absolutely taken over this country as it should. It was a horrific, horrific act. And one that as you see that video, it tears your heart out and it tears it apart. And that kind of battle has been going on for centuries. And sometimes we feel like we can't ever win that war. So we're gonna be honest with you. We had a whole service planned and it was all ready to go. And then all of this broke this week. And we felt there's no way we could have this weekend without taking moments in our service and lamenting and praying and talking about what's happening in our country, in our region and in our own city. On Friday night, we had, you know, uprising in our city. We have uprisings happening across this country and many times for very good reason that there is deep hurt in the black community of our country. This morning I woke up and I got an email from a prominent black pastor who's a good friend of mine in our community. And he was writing mainly to the white pastors in our communities. He's saying this, will you stand with us? Will you stand with the black churches and the black leaders and the black community? Will you speak out? In Kensington, I'm going to tell you something. It was a real simple answer for me. Yes, my friend, we will not be silent. We will not be silent in this moment. In this time in history, we cannot be silent as a church. We must speak out against evil. We have to. We are called to that. And he also said, would you read Proverbs 31? Would you read it? And would you read it over and over? So I did. And Proverbs 31 says this, speak out for those who cannot speak, for the rights of all the destitute. Speak out, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Speak out. This is our moment as a church to speak out, not just to our region and our friends, but our own community, our own Kensington community that is an intercultural community, that is a community that is filled with different people of color. We are going to speak out because our family deserves us to speak out and to stand up. Yeah, you know, Danny, uh, I just have to say, you know, thank you. Uh, thank you to our community. Thank you for the people who have spoken out. Um, I, I have received so much love as a person of color from people in our community reaching out to me saying, hey, we stand with you. We stand beside you. And uh, the part that hits me about 
that scripture is where it says, speak out for the ones that can't speak. There are things about me and my color that automatically make people deaf when it comes to my voice being heard. And so in this time, you know, there's no way to win this war unless the white community stands up and speaks out. Yeah. Uh, I need you. People of color need you. And in this time uh, of turmoil and tumult, I'm telling you, it's, it's really hard to find moments of peace. Yeah. And right now, I think what the Lord is always calling us to, in this moment and in every moment, is peace. I think that there's so much hurt and so much pain going on in our world and so much confusion and awkwardness uh, and, and awkwardness as we step in and, and, and try to figure out the best ways to navigate these current times. I was telling you, Danny, just a, a few minutes ago that, you know, it, it kind of feels like we're going backwards in a way. Yeah. But I think that the best thing that we have to hold on to is to fight and uh, pray for the peace of God to transcend all of this. So I need you and I need you to stand with me. People of color need you to stand with them. And uh, together, we can create this new humanity. I don't want to be seen or heard as just another angry Black man. That is not my heart. My heart is that you see me as your brother, that you see me as your fellow human, and that together we can join hands and create a world that is peaceful and loving and serving for the both of us. That's where my heart is, Danny. I know it is. And that's my heart too. And you, you, you know, you're like a son to me. I'm a little bit, I'm a little old, but you're also my brother, but you're, you're like a son to me. And so uh, you're part of our family, Jalen. And as, as many people of color are part of our family at Kensington and you're right, it is a new humanity. That's what God calls us to. In fact, uh, next weekend, we're going to really step into that, as you know, and Jalen wrote a beautiful blog and then decided to put it into a form of a video. And that line that you said, I'm not just another angry black man, you use that line to really draw a truth out that we need to hear. And so we decided to take a whole weekend and build it around this idea of racial reconciliation, stepping into this conversation and letting Jalen's video be a centerpiece of that. And we're going to do it. We're going to step in next week and we're going to take the whole weekend to talk about that. We wanted you to have a little bit of a hint of what that may look like and feel like. And so Jalen and I did make a promo a couple of days ago. We'd like you to watch this now. If we believe the words that are written in our country's constitution, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men and women are created equal, then we believe that we belong to the same race. That is the human race. And if we believe what the word of God teaches us, that we are all made in the image of God, then we believe that we belong to the same body. And that is the body of Christ. So that is what we're going to talk about next weekend. We're really going to dive into Ephesians 2. We're going to talk about what does it look like to live into a new humanity. And during these times, it is so critical that we start to see this new humanity, that we step in, that we're not silent as a church, that we actually step in and see all people worthy, all people part of God's family. So please come back next weekend and step into that with us. Right now, we're going to uh, take some time in prayer. And I know all of us are having a range of emotion from absolute outrage and rage all the way through to depression and everything in between. I know that I've been just going up and down with all kinds of different emotions. Maybe you're the same way. And at times, I don't even know what to pray. And part of that that has helped me is a, a particular passage that I read in Romans 8. 
says this, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. That image of wordless groans has always really moved me. In fact, one version says, with sighs too deep for words. Have you felt that in the last few weeks? With George Floyd, with Ahmaud Arbery, have you felt sighs too deep for words? We need the Spirit of God. We need the Spirit of God to come in and groan for us, to give us a sigh that's too deep for words. We need the Spirit of God. So, uh, Jalen, I would love for you to lead us in prayer. Yeah, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you just uh, for the way that you love humanity and for the beautiful picture given to us through the gospel of what it looks like to really step into embracing and loving you and loving each other. And Lord, I just pray that over our community today. I pray that over this world. And I pray that we catch more of your vision and we catch more of your complete and full gospel. The gospel that steps in and loves people in a way that sees each other as brothers and sisters and co-inheritors of the kingdom of God. And Lord, I I just pray that deeply right now, my spirit groans for our community. My spirit groans for our world. Or my heart, you know, breaks for the family of George Floyd and the family of Ahmaud Arbery. Lord, my heart breaks for them. And I can't help but see my own face when I look at theirs. And I know how much grief that would cause my family. And Lord, I pray deeply that you send the peace that passes all understanding to fall fresh over each and every member of their families. Lord, I pray that you give them a heart, a courageous heart, and I pray that you give them hope that justice will prevail. And Lord, I pray right now for even the communities of people that don't see these acts as outrageous, violent, and just, you know, crazy acts of hatred. And Lord, I just pray that you soften their hearts and you move them towards your vision and your gospel. Lord, I thank you for Jesus because Jesus is always redeeming humanity and he's always bringing us closer to his heart. And Lord, I just pray right now that Jesus transcends all of this and Jesus brings the peace that only he can bring to this this time and this season in our world. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus who gives us all our hope. And it's in his mighty and matchless name we pray. Amen. Well, amen. Thanks, Jalen. I hope that you continue to pray this week. I really do hope that and continue to process, pray for our city, pray for our region and pray for our country. Well, we did have a service plan, and we are going to hear that message. Uh, Steve Andrews and Drew Daniels are going to talk about Jesus raising his friend Lazarus from the dead and actually having grave clothes fall off. And I actually think that image is a perfect image for us to hold on to throughout our week. We have so much grave clothes of this world that need to go away in order for us to become a new creature, a new creation, and part of a new humanity. So that image is one we want to hold on to. The arts team has prepared a couple songs for our hearts as we move into the day. So thank you for being with us during this time. Thank you that you would join us this weekend. And please come back next weekend and let's enter into a deeper conversation about what new humanity looks like in Christ. We'll see you then.
Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin Lost without hope with no place to begin Your love made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested and my life began Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains My orphan heart was given a name My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance When death was arrested in my life Chains, I'm a prisoner no more. Rejoices though heaven had lost.
I love that song, Death Was Arrested, because it talks about how because Jesus broke through the grave, that he arrests death. Now, when some, someone or something is arrested, they're unable to escape. And because of Jesus rising from death, now we too can put death under arrest in our life because of a hope in a future life to come. Well, hey, my name is Drew uh, Daniels, and I work with our young adults here at Kensington. And uh, I'm excited because I get to talk with our co-founder, Steve Andrews. Steve, what are you, what's up, man? Dude, what are you, I, doing? you what know, are you I, wearing? I thought you were going to immediately notice how good I was looking. What are you, you wearing, know? man? Well, well, I thought we were talking about image and identity today a little bit. And, um, you know, the truth of it is, when I was ordained 33 years ago, the elders at Faith Church got me this robe. And I just want you to know something that's something you've never experienced. Instant credibility, authority, and respect with this robe. So I'm sure I thought as we're preaching on resurrection identity, I just thought I'd be looking good today. I'm sure you got all types of respect right there. <laughs> Are you hot? <laughs> I'm burning up. My air conditioner went out of the house. Yo, mine did too. I, I actually, uh, I, okay, so if we're talking about past identities, um, I brought my old letter jacket because I'm, I'm kind of chilly too. Oh. My air conditioner went out of my house. Yeah, Rochester Adams. What high school is that? Oh, the Highlanders. Oh, the, the, the Highlanders, home of God's baby. favorite chosen high school. Hold on. The A. That Michigan patch. <laughs> Man, you good. must have been a chick magnet with that jacket on. Oh, uh, not, not quite as a chick magnet as uh, what I had to do in high school. So, like, for me, um, when I was in high school, I lost my teeth really late as a kid. And so then I was no. desperate for braces and a retainer. And then also I just had terrible acne. Um, so I wore, I did like the Accutane thing where it dries out all of your skin. And so like you look, you're like a snow globe and you just itch your, and all the, the flakes of your skin just fall off. It was great. But my whole high school, really, I would just, I'd have to put on like acne cream all over my face, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah. This so that was a real, that was a real uh, self-image builder for you? Oh, yeah, man. I mean, it was primarily on the forehead. Um, but yeah, man, it was, it was what I had to do. And then, uh, as I said, I had a retainer that I had right here. Ready? It still so, fits? No way. Oh, well, this is a new model. So, so like, generally speaking, <laughs> I, I've decided to not wear this all the time when I do messages, but instead, this is like my pickup in high school. I was like, yo, like, what are you doing Friday night, Steve? Are you, are you hanging out? Like, what's going on, man? <laughs> it's all over. Oh, man, that's brutal, dude. Soon. This is bad. <laughs> so, so tell me about your, uh, your, your robe. When, like, did you ever wear it? Yeah, we, uh, I was with Wally Hoster at Faith Church Ward for about a year. And then I told him, I said, I think in order to, we were trying to reach on church people there before we started Kensington. And we just decided, you know, we'd look better in normal clothes. So we went, but we went coat and tie for a lot of years, even starting Kensington. We did coat and tie for five, eight, 10 years till we finally said, this is stupid. Everybody's coming in t-shirts and shorts. Why are we wearing coats? But anyway, it really was true. I'm not kidding you. I put this robe on, I was ordained. I did youth ministry for years, not a lot of respect or credibility. I, I got ordained, and I mean, people treated me differently. It just really, it was kind of hilarious to me of how, 
how people are drawn to, uh, to images. Yeah, I would say my generation, we really love uh, aesthetic. I mean, with Instagram and social media, everything's about how it looks. And uh, for me, I, when I was in college, I became a worship leader. I would say one of the like, images and identities I carried so much was just wanting to be fresh and trendy and cool. So I actually brought, uh, maybe, I feel like maybe a lot of people in Kensington would remember me more because I had really long hair and I did a man bun. And I have all this extra hair from quarantine, so we're going to see. So I did this for a long time because I thought, you know, it would be trendy and cool. See, this isn't even working, Steve. I'm going to ruin my whole hair for this whole shoot. Well, I'm going to get it right. <laughs> so I would Come do on, this. Buddy, you can do it. There. Wow. It, I, I feel like I'm transported into the past. And, uh, you know, I'd have well, a cool trendy how long, how long was your How long was your man bun at the, at the longest? About 10 oh, inches? Down to the shoulder. Easy. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. What a man you were. I know. I know. 50-year-old moms loved it. 60-year-old dads did not. They were not fans. <laughs> Let me tell you. But uh, for this whole uh, message today, what we're really talking about is image, because I feel like all of us in our life, we've had different sets of clothes that we've worn because we, we have to build this image externally on the exterior of our life. And really by building this image, I think we have to manage it. We have to keep it up. We have to kind of... Uh, be able to show everyone else that we are this very person that we want to be. And I think the real hope is we want our image to become our identity. And identity really stands for our essence, who we really are. And I would even say identity in two different ways. Number one is like the labels that we put on ourselves. So it's like, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a daughter, I'm a great parent, uh, I'm a, you know, a, a communicator, whatever. And then I would also say it's a kind of a way that we view ourselves identity can be where it's like, I'm a gentle person. I'm a successful person. And it can even be negative where it's like, I'm a loser. And so when we pr project these images on the outside, it's almost like we're trying to reframe who we are in our essence. And uh, today we're actually looking at a story in the, uh, the series that we're calling Signs, where Jesus does uh, miracles to substantiate the claims about himself that he is in fact the son of God. And so we're looking at the story of Lazarus, and he wears a different set of clothes. They are grave clothes. So let's take a look uh, and read this together um, with our friend Kenzie. Take it away. Hello, I'm Kenzie, and today I'll be reading you a passage about Lazarus. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he is asleep, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Imagine this story of Jesus finally showing up to Lazarus' graveside, see Mary and Martha, three, those three who were three of his closest friends, and to find everybody just crushed with grief. And I thought 
uh, it's appropriate during this time because I think everybody's felt grief during this time. In fact, it, as our leadership has been working on this, as, as Jesus approaches the tomb, it's been like, I know so many people now who've lost loved ones to COVID-19, people that are sick. So many people are fearful. No, none of us know what's what to think of it because they still know so little about it. And when I think of Jesus seeing Mary and Martha, um, in fact, we used to kid about this as a, we used to kid about this when we were little about going to memorize a Bible verse and we'd memorize John 11, where it said, Jesus wept, shortest verse in the Bible. I, and as kids, we didn't even, you did, did you ever do that? Oh, yeah, that was an easy one to memorize, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and we thought it was a joke because when we were kids, we didn't know grief. We didn't know what it was like for people to experience and taste that. But Jesus came and he wept. And I think he wept because of the pain of the world. And Jesus grieves, Jesus weeps. And I think he still weeps. I think he's weeping in this time. I think he, when he sees people hungry and I think when he sees people marginalized or hurt, whatever, um, that this is a really, really big deal. And so we, we thought it would be valuable for, for a number of us to talk about what Kensington is doing for grief. And so I just interviewed uh, today uh, just briefly, Chris Cook, who leads all of our care ministry, just to talk a little bit about what's available. And so I'm going to be just taking a few minutes for Chris to connect into that. And actually, before we do that, I'd love to receive our offering. Um, this has been an amazing time, honestly, of Kensington people giving faithfully. We didn't know what would happen, but people have continued to trust God and step out in faith. And as you can see, on the screen, there are easy ways to uh, to give. You can text the number right there on the screen. Uh, if you're like me, it takes you a little longer than the 10 seconds promise, but not much. And then there are other ways to communicate. But I just want you to know that it allows us to continue to do, I think, what is unique and amazing ministry in this time. We're supporting local ministries and global ministries. We have such a great team of people that are serving and caring for people. So please take advantage of that offering. And just zero in with me a minute on the, the question of grief and how can we respond in this time in helping people, if it's you or somebody else, kind of deal with the grief that's in our hearts. Take a look at this. Hey, I'm with my good friend Chris Cook, who leads our care initiatives at Kensington. And man, we are in a tough spot right now in grief. Let's talk about it. Yeah. You know, it, it is a tough time. Uh, you know, we've got families uh, who've lost a loved one and, and they can't even have uh, a funeral the way they normally would. So it's really, really tough. Oh. And uh, there was a recent study by MLive.com that, that put Michigan at the top of the nation uh, of people dealing with depression and anxiety. Um, and the thing that I found is that everybody, everybody I've spoken with uh, is processing loss or in one way or another. It could be the loss of a loved one or a job opportunity or routine or certainty, but everybody's dealing with it in one way or another. And the thing that I found is that we're, myself included, we're not very good at processing that loss. No, we're not. So what's, what's actually built, what's happening inside of us during, you know, the best thing I, I, I've used this when I'm working with families who are dealing with grief, but it's, it's, you know, life puts a venom inside of us. Loss puts a venom inside of us that the human spirit just wasn't meant to hold but there's all kinds of things keeping us from letting it out. Uh, it could be busyness, I'll get to it later, or fear or shame or numbing, uh, you know, people numbing on Netflix or alcohol or whatever. And we try to hide it, 
but then life puts a squeeze on us and all of a sudden it comes out and it comes out in really inconvenient, unpredictable and often hurtful ways. So like your kid spills their milk and I go through the roof. Uh, and you know, I have to have the bravery to ask myself, okay, what's going on in there? Mm. Uh, It's a big, it's a really big time. And so what we're hoping today is that people that are connecting with us in the service will know that there are trusted people that they can go to. Because one of the things you've always said is any trusted friend can make a huge difference in the grief process of anxiety. Someone that is proven trustworthy you can share with. But there's also stuff that we're offering at Kensington that is really exciting. Talk to me about that. Yeah, there's, you know, I mean, the the common denominator, it needs to be a safe place and a safe person. And we've got 400 volunteers uh, in the care initiatives that are really committed to doing that. Uh, We have our recovery communities uh, that are just people coming together and focusing on being honest about what's going on in their life uh, and pointing, using that uh, to leverage to to know Christ greater. Uh, You know, for the first time ever in Kensington's history, we are having a summertime grief recovery workshop. Uh, They're going to be able to engage with the uh, with it online, the content online and then come together in a Zoom meeting uh, to kind of process what we're going through. That's going to be starting uh, next Monday on uh, the 8th of June. Fantastic. But then we also have our marriage initiatives where uh, a mentor couple can work with another couple just to help them get the air out of the balloon. You know, and that's the most important thing. Once you're able to do that, it's a lot easier to deal with it. It's a big deal. Thank you, Chris. Listen, I just want to, Man, thank you and the team. Again, I've, I've reflected on how Kensington people loving and serving this time and just knowing that anybody, if you're listening, you're watching, you call. We've got people that are ready to care for you, love you, be there for you, help you in this journey. And it's, and I know a bunch of them, they're great, they're great people. And yeah. so don't do this alone. That's the biggest deal during yeah. this time. Yeah, you can check out all of these uh, uh, opportunities on kensingtonchurch.org forward slash KC Care. Uh, we set up something special for this uh, for this service so that people could get to the best information right away. So great. come check it out. It's great. Thanks, you, brother. Appreciate it so much. Yeah, thanks so much, Steve. Okay, man. I know for many of us, the tie of our image into our identity can be laden with grief, but I believe today that Jesus is inviting us to experience an identity that's so separated from our image. Because I have a question for us. What if the clothes that we're wearing are actually grave clothes? The very clothes that we present on the exterior image, internally, we're rotting in decay. Now, in the ancient world, when someone died, they'd wrap their body in shrouds of linen, and they'd put spices and and douse them in perfume to create a good aroma to, to those who are mourning the dead. And I wonder for some of us if the very clothes that we wear are creating the perfect conditions for a decomposing interior while presenting this pleasing aroma of image that everyone loves on the outside. Is it possible that some of the images in your life that you are fighting and trying to keep up are actually accelerating the very dying that's happening within your soul? Uh, Maybe for you, your images of success and success is the very thing that's also making you feel isolated and alone. Maybe for you, your images of perfection, you have to be the perfect spouse, you have to be the perfect parent or the perfect son or daughter, and that very upkeep of image of perfection 
is actually making you neglect the pain inwardly because you aren't being honest with yourself because you're so busy trying to please everyone. And so, in a sense, our identity almost feels like it's something that we do. Our identity is almost something that we feel like we need to achieve. For me, uh, I wanted my identity, and I presented this image for a long time in my work of, of using my voice, of wanting to be a communicator. And my desire was to impress people. And many times I'd think of ways to use my voice just so that I could impress people with sounding crafty or smart or clever or to get a reaction out of people or to excite them. But I wasn't being true to who I was and who God created me to be. And inside I felt alone and almost in a sense dead because I wasn't even being true to myself and what I really thought because I felt like I needed to keep up this image that everyone else wanted me to be instead of actually being the person who God created me to be. And so for you, is identity something that you perform? Because here's the thing, if identity is something that we perform, it's something that we can lose if we have failure. If identity is something that we achieve, then we also lose it the moment that we aren't perfect and fail with it. And so really, I would say in the season, identity is really under pressure in COVID-19 in this season. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking about this shelter at home has all of a sudden my identity is a guy who sits around in t-shirt and sweat sweatpants. And then I got, Oh no, wait, that's been me for <laughs> 64 years. So nothing's changed in that regard. Yes. But there is another sense in which, uh, you know, for 30 years, I've been the lead founder and lead pastor of Kensington and with Dave and Mark, an incredible team of people, about 40 of us that started this church, that's been a huge part of my identity. And as I move towards a moment where I'm not going to be the leader of Kensington somewhere down the road, it's been in a beautiful journey to say, so who am I? Hmm. It's not something manufactured from within. I love what you're describing, that Jesus gives us uh, a new identity. And I read something by Tim Keller. I want, I want to read it to you. I got it on, a, on my notes here that... Um, our identity is under pressure. It's incredible pressure that people are wondering uh, during this time because so much has been taken away. And Tim Keller said this, in this moment in time, people are feeling tremendous pressure to forge an identity from within yeah. themselves. In other words, dig as deep as you can. And with that created identity, there's a lot of pressure to perform so that you can justify your existence and value. And I thought in COVID-19, so, so many of our performance identities have been stripped away. I, I just saw this week 36 million jobless claims, Drew. I mean, that's that's unbelievable. You know, that's a, a world of people. And I thought this, this COVID has also put the poor, the minorities, uh, people without margin under tremendous strain, uh, we've never seen anything kill the elderly. You know, our most treasured legacy and heritage is our old people, our parents. Mm -hmm. And um, it really is an unbelievable thing. And I thought a lot of us, in fact, I love the way that you put it, that a lot of us have felt during this time like we've been wearing grave clothes the whole time. I mean, you yeah, felt wow. that, haven't you? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, and, like uh yeah, I would say, honestly, so much of, of my time, again, has been working with people and, and wanting to mean something to people 
And yet here I am, as you said, in my pajamas every single day. And I don't get to show up to the table and, and be who I feel like I am. And instead I, I'm a student and I'm alone and, and I'm a husband and I'm, now I'm a father. It's, it's different. Yeah. Well, here's the challenge and the problem is you and I were working on this talk is the problem with grave clothes or created identities is they always end up failing. They end up stinking. They don't mm -hmm. smell good. Yeah. As we come to this story where Jesus comes to Lazarus tomb, it says in verse 38, I love this because I, I thought to me, maybe this is the part that I love the most now that I'm older. It says Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. There was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord said, Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he's been there four days. And I thought, even after all this time, what, what means so much to me is Jesus was moved. He's moved by our pain, by our confusion, by the fact that we're trying to come up with all these ways to express our uniqueness when he's just wanting to demonstrate his love and power. Because whether we want them to or not, people can care about when we're trying to present an image. And the aroma that it's not real, that it's dead, is evident to everybody. And I think the challenge is the fact that even those of us who know, know Christ are still carrying around our old grave clothes. We're still carrying around our leather jackets and our ordination robes. And even those things are a part of our deadness. They're not what life is. And worse than that would even be the lies and the habits and the addictions and the scars of our past, the false beliefs. And I thought they were okay when we were dead. It's like people at parties, you know, doing their best to present, oh, I'm living the high life. You know, I always love that. You know, hey, 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 hey. You know, and it's, but it's not real because it doesn't have life. And what, what's interesting is it becomes normal. It becomes the normal smell to people until they see what Jesus is doing. In fact, it's just one funny thing. I remember when my dad was in formal settings and growing up in Memphis, we were in those a lot. He would also, he, every, his nickname, and everybody knew him as Chubby. But whenever he would greet people, he'd go, hello, I'm Dr. William F. Andrews. Because that's what you did. You to say, hey, so my identity is I'm a doctor. I'm an MD. I, you know, all this. But none of that is who we truly are. Nothing bad about it, but it's not who we really are. Yeah. So what's what, the truth, Drew? Yeah. Well, you know what it also makes me think of, Steve, is like one thing when I, as I began to really get introduced to Kensington, was the value on sharing a personal story of weakness all the time. And I think our, my generation specifically is really attracted to authenticity. And so even... You know, if we try to be polished and present this really great image, people can smell that and they go, man, I don't, I don't really know what it is, but something feels like it's missing. And it's like the moment that we're vulnerable and share weaknesses, people really connect with that. I love Craig Rochelle. He says, people are impressed by our strengths, but they are connected to us with our weakness. And so we need to take off the, the grave clothes, really. But first, before Jesus invited Lazarus to do this, he actually uh, did something very specific. Um, he met Lazarus when he was still funky and stinky and in the tomb and he calls Lazarus out of the grave it says this in John 11 verses 43 he said and when he had said this Jesus called in a loud voice Lazarus come out the dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face I believe that for all of us who we feel when we feel dead to our image because it's sucking the life out of us 
It's always the person of Jesus who's standing outside of our tomb, inviting us back into life, that he is the source of our resurrection. If we're dead, man, we can't bring ourselves back to life. Like Jesus is the only one who can summon us and has resurrection power. And so in the process, there's nothing I can do to resurrect my identity in Christ. It's something that he has to give me. So here is the bottom line. Identity is received and it is not achieved. I can't earn or obtain a good label. I cannot earn or obtain a good view of myself, but God instead, he gives it to me. In fact, the Christian identity is one of the only identities in the world that is just received and it's not something we have to earn. So what does this mean? When I say my identity in Christ, it's from the view that God is, has love for me. So meaning I am loved, I'm secure in love, I have peace from God. And these are all labels. I'm a son or we are daughters in, in, in Christ. And so for, we get to live in those labels. And it's not something that we achieved or earned by our own good works, but rather it was Jesus resurrecting our life and our soul out of the grave that we get to uh, experience life in him. And so kids, right now I'm talking to you, is that Jesus, when you have him in your life, you get to talk to him about who he's made you to be, the gifts that he has for you. And you get to talk to him about it and you get to discover your purpose and ultimately share that with all of your friends as well. Now, something uh, uh, really exciting took place in my life. I had my first child, my first son. His name is Bronson. Here's a picture of him, us in the hospital when he was born. Uh, and he was born on April 30th. And, uh, you know, I've been reflecting a lot, Steve, on being a, being a dad. And one thing I was totally taken aback by was how much reflecting I did on my own parents and how thankful I really was for them. Uh, my dad, he was very vocal and affirming. I feel very blessed. Not most, many people don't have this, but my dad, he'd always take us in the car and he's like, Drew, I just want to tell you, oh, man, I love you so much. I can't hardly stand it. And that's something he always said. He's like, Drew, I'm proud of you. There's nothing you could do that would make me love you less. And it was like every day there, there's these reminders of his voice to the point where as you're a kid, you're like, feel so safe and secure in that love. And you just kind of smile and you're like thankful. Um, but as I got older, you know, watching my dad as he took us out to dinner every Tuesday and he was so vulnerable and honest about his mistakes and he'd reflect on them in nuance and being able to see my father do that, I felt overwhelmed with gratitude and, and blessing because I knew how I was going to do that for my son. Now, seven days after my son was born, uh, my dad actually went into the hospital and he was having severe chest pain and uh, he didn't listen to the EKG machines and all these tests that came back so there, there was nothing wrong. And finally they put uh, one of those cameras that go in or I don't know, catheter, I don't, I don't really know what it is. But uh, when they put it in his heart, he had an 85% blockage in the Widowmaker valve of his heart and his body was preparing to have a heart attack and it would have killed him had he not pushed through all the, the negative tests and they were able to put a stint in and he was okay. And it was really emotional just thinking that my dad, you know, he might've died in a hospital room a week after my son was born. And I, I, I was overwhelmed with just emotion and decided I needed to tell my dad uh, my gratitude. And, and so I was like, dad, I need, you, I need you to know something that I have 100% confidence in knowing exactly how to be a father because all I have to do is repeat everything that you did and that will be the easiest thing I've ever done. And already with my son, I'm like, son, I love you so much. I can't hardly stand it. And there's nothing you could do that would make me ever make me love you any less. And when my dad said that, he goes, you know what? It, it never changes too, even when they're 28. That, that love just grows and it never changes. And I think when it comes to our Heavenly Father, when we are so close and can see and receive the love that he gives us, we're able to repeat it. 
because we're so familiar with it. We have so much security in it. And I want to be resurrected with Christ to such a way where I can just repeat the, the way that I see him love me and the way when I read the scriptures and I see Jesus serve those who are marginalized and how he gives and how he, he ministers and how he prays and he, he heals and he, he's compassionate. And the more I have relationship and, and bring my troubles to him and cast my anxieties on him, I get to be able to give that back. And so what we receive, we're able to give from our identity. But I think there's still a caveat where it's not just enough to be resurrected from the dead and just to repeat it. But I think in the same way, we almost need to remove the image. We need to take off those grave clothes. And that's a huge caveat. It's, uh, oh man, I'm so, I'm so grateful for your dad's okay. That would have, that would have been crushing and hopefully he'll continue to maybe praying for him just to get stronger. So he enjoys his new boy, his new grandson. That, that love and that connection, I know, um, you know, there's nothing like it. So when you, I, I love that, that what we receive, we're able to give, because I think there's, this story really marks a, a moment in all of history that death is not the end, and that death is not the final champion of all of this. And it's got to be weird. Lazarus has got to be had the most weird life of anybody who ever lived because he lived twice and died twice. And that had to be, I, I don't know. I'd love to, you know, when I get to heaven, that's one of the first stories that I want to know. But I think that Jesus' invitation to Lazarus as he comes out of the grave is the one that I know that he's extending to all of us today. It's the one that you and I have been excited about. It's in John eleven forty four. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. You know, there are different, you know, translations you could use this, but basically is strip that stuff off and turn him loose, you know, turn him loose to do what he's been made to do. Because here's what I want all of you to know today is that Lazarus was a sign of the coming kingdom. He didn't have a full resurrection where he would never die because it, it happened again. I just, it's so weird to even think about but Jesus was going to have that on Easter, coming very soon. It was right on the heels of this that Jesus gave up his life. But Lazarus was a sign to us of what is coming for us, a foretaste of the coming kingdom. In fact, all Jesus' miracles point to this time where there'll be no more disease, no more blindness or lameness or think of, a, you know, a lot of people don't know there's a story of leprosy in the New Testament. You know, there's still... Almost 20 million people in the world have leprosy. 20, it's, it's crazy. But someday, because of signs like Lazarus and the other ones, the miracles that Jesus did, in the future kingdom, there aren't going to be any more grave clothes. No more false identities. And we're not going to be wrapped up tight as a mummy in the stuff that's held us down. I know for me, for years, overeating became a, an identity. Like, I'm a person who overeats. I, can't, I cannot eat healthy or well. It was a lie. It's not true. Jesus was trying to give me a new identity, even in that. And I thought he wants to give us the freedom of the presence and the power of his Holy Spirit. And so, Drew, I love the way you said that he wants to put on display the beauty and life of Jesus in us so that we might get rid of the grave clothes. And I thought right now eternal life is working in us, even though some of us are still walking around thinking and acting in the old dead ways. And 
the goal of today is that we get rid of those. We get rid of the decompos decomposition, you know, those nasty old clothes and things. Because we're alive in Christ. To put everything aside that's not consistent with what he's doing. Now, just think of this. I'm going to hand it over to you for a second here. I'm just thinking about the application. But think about Lazarus coming out of that grave, getting the, getting the grave clothes stripped off. I think, man, don't you know he wanted to take a hot shower? <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, maybe a shave and a shampoo, man. Oh, yeah, man. And start his new life. Uh, that, I think that's what Jesus is calling us to do. So how, how do we apply this? Talk to me a, a little bit about the application. Yeah, I love that. Well, we're really, I mean, like, you think Lazarus, he received life. And so I, I believe that part of Lazarus' life from there on out is to then give life. I mean, when you receive life, we have to give life because it's a response to what we've experienced. And so the question I think I want to leave us with is, what have you received that you're able to give? Like, what have you received from God as far as his love, maybe his invisible qualities, maybe his visible qualities, the people in your life, and maybe the, the, the identity that you feel like he's put in your bones? Like, what have you received that you're now able to give, especially even in this time of COVID-19? And, and how is he inviting you to serve? Steve, I think you, I think you had a few thoughts, and I, I actually mm -hmm. have one too. Yeah, I would love to just say that when we've received a true identity, something miraculous happens and starts to happen in our lives. C.S. Lewis called it self-forgetfulness. And I, I love it that when I know when Christ is working in my life, one of the marks is I'm just not, I'm not worried about what's in it for me. I don't, all of a sudden getting the credit or recognition or uh, the security, it just doesn't matter anymore. All of a sudden, what I found for me years ago is that Jesus took a very, very selfish person and started by degrees to make me a little less selfish. I'm still a selfish person. But I can see, looking back, how Jesus has changed me. In fact, it's been very humbling to be a part of Kensington all these years, even during COVID-19. Because, Drew, I, I have been absolutely stunned by how people have served, mm. how people have given and poured their lives out, and people, many people stepping in harm's way, people going out of their way to care and love. And, um, you know, some people have, have been tempted during this time to say, well, I'm, I'm going to be self-centered. I'm going to kind of just, you know, take care of what's mine. But I have seen what has been the DNA of Kensington for so many years of people living open-handedly. Mm. And it's because the life of Jesus Christ is in him. So I just want to say, if Jesus Christ is raising us from the dead, giving us his life, and the fact that we know that one day we're going to die, and that death is not the end, that he is going to resurrect us into his presence to be the, to live forever. In, in, by the way, in a huge throng of people, every tribe, tongue, and nation is going to be gathered. And I think when we meet Jesus, one of the things to me that is a mark is that all of a sudden every person becomes important to us. Mm. The person who's different from us, the person who looks different from us, the person who believes differently than we do. Uh, let's say there are people that think differently about the quarantine than I do. You know what my job is? Love them with all my heart. Yeah. Care for them. Listen to them. And all of a sudden, I just thought, what if we as the body of Christ, the resurrected Jesus, began to reflect that resurrection by building dialogue and bringing people together from all backgrounds to say, we're... We don't see eye to eye on everything, but we see Jesus bringing his love into our lives. Yeah. 
You know, it makes me think of that passage in Acts where Peter is passing by a beggar and he's and he's asking for money. And Peter says, I do not have silver or gold. I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. And I agree. I think for me, one thing I do have is compassion. I wish I had more, but I feel like that's something I, I, I want to be able to see through, again, as you said, the eyes of the other. And even with uh, this week's events of even George Floyd and some of the other issues of race that are coming out, I think for me, one of the things that's in my hand is compassion mm-hmm. and wanting to give. Not, uh, again, for me as a white male, I, I don't know what I don't know and I can't experience it. And I don't want to, to give pity or my apology, but rather I want to give compassion by being a partner and an ally and being in agreement with people of color who are experiencing so much oppression uh, and uh, I would even say subconscious narrations of and questions that happen every day in this country. And for me, that's something I feel like I need to give my engagement to, is to, to learn, to research anti-racism websites and to extend compassion and to be a student. And I feel like for me, that's one thing that I have in my hand that I, I can give. And I would say, as you're saying that, I would challenge every person listening to say, where is God calling you to step into compassion? And I think what you're choosing is a beautiful, beautiful picture. And I think there, um, once again, you become another one of my heroes, bro. Just to let's, let's love. Let's be the hands and feet and face of Jesus and let him live. Let, let him out yeah. in us. <laughs> so good. And I, I love this. And I, I would love to, to, to close this in a time of reflection and prayer just together because um, I think for those of us who we maybe have felt dead just to that image that we've been creating. I want to, I want to invite people to really reflect and think about what is, what is making you most alive? Like what is stirring in your heart that's creating a life inside of you? So we're actually going to go into this song. It's called rattle about how dry bones can rattle back into life and that Jesus he is a resurrected King. And so we too can inherit that promise from him. So I want you to join in prayer as we head into this time of reflection and song. Uh, Heavenly father, we thank you just that you are the God of life and not of, death, that you've conquered death. And in the process, we can receive life and we don't have to depend on how we look on the exterior, but God, you care about what's on the interior. You want what's on the inside to be a pleasing aroma to the people around us. And so Lord, what's in our hand that we can give to others? Is it compassion? Is it patience? Is it engagement? Is it intentionality? Is it resources? Is it time? Is it our hands? Uh, Father, stir in our hearts a new vision for our life that brings excitement in life. Uh, we thank you for everything that you've done. In your name we pray. Amen. Make a dead man walk again 
Well, hey, we want to thank you for tuning in with us here today. The statement that identity is received and not achieved will stick with me. And there was a lot of other great truths found in that message today. We hope it blessed you and it sticks with you throughout the week, especially. Uh, don't forget next week as we tackle the topic of race and how Jesus came to usher in a brand new kingdom and a brand new way of humanity. So invite somebody else to tune in with you, hold a watch party, and we will see you then next week. Until then, God bless you. Hopefully we'll see you then.